Well, today, um, this is our first Sunday of Lent, and Lent, um, maybe you've heard of, and maybe you haven't, or maybe you're confused what Lent may or may not be, and so I'll just be very simple for you. Lent is the time from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, actually, really, Holy Saturday, minus all the Sundays. That's why it's 40 days, right? So there you learn something new, Um, because maybe you have to look that up every year, just saying, that's possible. Um, But it's 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday, minus the Sundays, right? Because if you do the math, you're like, that's more than 40 days. I don't understand how this works. I get it. Um, So it was interesting for me last week. I am incredibly thankful for those who serve in so many ways here. I watched the service from the airport um, on my phone, which is not the best way to watch anything, by the way. It's so small and like looking, but I was just thankful for Holly and her message, um, an invitation for us to recognize the depth of God's grace. I was thankful for our tech crew for putting stuff together, so that's even an option. So some of you who are joining us online, um, I get it. I I was with you um, last week. But I was thinking how I was... I was gone, and I was in the desert. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the desert, but there's not a lot of water in the desert. It's kind of why it's called a desert. And I don't know if you know this or not. I'm assuming you do. Um, But without water, everything dies, including weeds. Now, midsummer, I might be okay with that, right? Um, I can't seem to get rid of them ever. They just come back. But they don't need much water, but they do need water. And so... I know we live in West Michigan, and I know many of you think it's the greatest place on earth. Have you been outside lately? Um, But I I like the ocean more. And I know some of you feel like that's sacrilegious, and so we kind of have like a deal in our family. We try to get there at least once every two years um, because it's, it's probably my favorite place in the world. Any place, the beach and the ocean, I love the smell. I love the sound of the waves. Because I mean, sometimes the waves hit here, but it's because it's a storm, uh, not just every day. And, and I love just that environment at the beach and the ocean, and that's just a place that I love. And I know the lake gets big waves at times, but it's not like the ocean. It's just not the same. There's something about the waves in the ocean that are all inspiring and terrifying. I was thinking about our last family trip to Florida with my in-laws, and um, I don't get in the lake much because it's just too cold for me. I'm kind of a pansy when it comes to that. Like, bath water, I'm in. That's like the Gulf of Mexico, right? So we got in the ocean, and we're playing out there, and we run in, and I'm going to teach my kids how to boogie board because I always had so much fun as a kid doing that. And so we were out there, and I, as soon as I looked up, I saw what was about to happen, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. Gracie was wearing her glasses, and there was a big wave coming, and I saw it before it happened, and I couldn't get there fast enough. For 30 minutes, we dug through the sand and the water, and we never did find her glasses. We paid way too much money to have a pair overnighted from here down there, Um, but the poor girl couldn't see, right? The waves took her glasses, and then... We kind of figured out how to boogie board, and so Isaac was, you know, having a blast. Um, And the waves were getting a little bit bigger, and so I wasn't too worried about it. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you can ride the wave. Your goal is to not actually be on top. The top is a bad place to be. Because when that wave breaks and turns, and you're on top, you end up underneath. And so your skin comes straight into contact with 
the sand and the shells. Isaac was having fun until he rode a bigger wave on top. And then when it flipped, he was not having so much fun. In fact, he was done. I'm not doing this anymore, Dad. I'm done. And sure enough, he didn't do it anymore. By myself, in the ocean. My kids were not done. But there's something about water that is life-giving. There's also something about water that's terrifying. Because we know it also can take life. We all know the stories of boats and shipwrecks. We've all heard the stories of Titanic. Water is one of those things that we can't live without. And if we're not careful, we can take, take it for granted. And so I was thinking how, how the person, Peter, follower of Jesus, knew a lot about water. He's a fisherman. Traveled the coastline. In fact, he walked on water. But one of the things I love about Peter um, is that we're going to look at a letter he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, in just a moment. But one of the things I love about Peter is I think he's a lot like some of us. See, I think Peter was one of these guys that, like, let's get this done. Let's do this. And so he was just, let's, let's take advantage of it right now. And yet, so often, we see in his story, um, he did the wrong thing. And by the grace of God, by the work of Jesus, over time, Peter's life changed. And some of his impetuousness kind of backed away, and he began to do some things differently. And so I think what Peter models for us is that practice over perfection matters. Practice over perfection, right? We don't always get it right in our faith. We don't always do exactly what we wish we had done, but sometimes God's grace is sufficient for us that we can begin to live new and unique lives. And so what we see in this season of Lent is a reminder, it's from ashes we come, ashes we go, from dust we come, dust we are. Season of Lent is a time of self-reflection. It's time to recognize that, like Peter, we think we can do it only to realize later we can't. And there's something about this season in which we reflect from Ash Wednesday to Good Friday and Easter Sunday that we begin to say, God, what in my life do I need to lay before you? What in my life am I trying to control that I need to let go of? What in my life do I need to do differently? And we begin to recognize, like Peter, that there's a work that God can do in us that we cannot do on our own. And the question you and I are left with, are we willing to let God do that work? Are we willing to recognize that things shape our hearts and that each of us have to answer the question, what shapes our heart and what shapes our lives? And so Peter writes these words to the church in Asia Minor for persecuted Christians. And here's what Peter writes. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 
And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience for God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus, the righteous one, one who is always in right relationship with God, found himself in a position where he laid his life down for the unrighteous, you and I. And so the more we read this text, the more I think about how it's an invitation for us. Peter is painting a picture. Right? He's painting a picture for us to see. So He wants us to have new eyes to perceive things differently than maybe we have before. He wants us to begin to think, how do I answer the question, what does God look like? What's the grace of God like? How far will it go? What does God's love look like lived out? What does it look like to embrace that as true? So Peter begins to paint a picture that his hearers would have probably understood. What he's saying to us in this is the depth of God's grace knows no bounds. Not even death itself can keep the love of God from all of even death itself can keep the love of God from all of you. He just dies. And then, and then Peter writes these words that are honestly some of the most controversial and confusing in the entire New Testament. In fact, if you were to go look at what various scholars say, there's lots of question, lots of conversation, lots of concern. Um, in fact, it's the line we find that's used in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell or Hades. Or he descended into the dead. It's kind of confusing. And so here's what we see, verses 19. It, says, it begins with this line. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So I'm going to talk about the confusing part first, and then I'll talk about the part that's clearer second. Right? Is that you with me there? Um, the confusing part first, because we don't really know exactly what was trying to happen here. The question that we're wrestling with is this you know, the line from the Apostles' Creed where they descended to the dead. So what's that mean for us? And so I was thinking maybe um, this is helpful. See, if I was a, a good Jew in Jesus' day, uh, I didn't believe in hell the way we often think of hell. Think of hell in terms of punishments, what we often think of. That's not their understanding. They understood Hades or the place of the dead. Now think of it this way. It's like a shadow land. It's like not you're not real, but you're not not real. It's kind of this interesting things they thought of. And so... Um, we don't know if they're talking about a literal place or a state of being. But what we know is this, that it isn't in right relationship with God. It's a place of confusion. And so I might say it this way. Um, no person who's ever lived is unable to hear the grace. The grace and the love. I love these words from William Barclay. He says it this way. It means that the work of Christ is infinite in its range. It means no person who ever lived is outside the grace of God. Now, the implications of that for us are pretty radical, actually, if we begin to think about them very much. Um, it really does change everything. And what we begin to recognize is this extends to all people at all times 
in all of human history. No person who has ever lived or who will ever live does not get to hear the good news of the grace of God. That I think we can say safely from what Peter is trying to get across here. And so I was trying to think how I would describe this to us, because it's, it's a weird kind of thing to think about. Um, I don't know how many of you heard of the author C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book years and years ago called The Great Divorce. Maybe you've read it. If not, it's a fascinating read. I mean, it's fiction. I want to be clear, it's fiction. I'm not trying to say it's anything other than fiction. But C.S. Lewis took verses like this and others and began to try to paint a picture for us to maybe understand in an illustrative way what God was trying to do through Scripture and what God was trying to do through Jesus. And so in the story, there's this place. It's called the Gray World. And it's actually hell. And in this place, there is this bus that comes, and you wait in line for this bus. And if you get on the bus, the bus takes you up into the sky, into this space. It's a picture, allegory, right? It's not, not real, but just help you think. And the driver of the bus is Jesus, because he's the only one that can go from the place of the dead to God's realm. He's the only one that can go back and forth. And you get on this bus, and people would go to the valley of the shadow of life, not the valley of shadow of death, but the valley of the shadow of life. And they would get there, and they would get out of this bus, and everything seemed so big. It was beautiful. People, mountains, waterfalls, and grass, and bright, shining sun, unlike the gray world that was full of rain. Everyone was trying to get ahead, and everyone was trying to one-up the person next to them again and again. And so in this valley of the shadow of life, you have a choice you can make. You can go back to the life you know in the gray world, or you can accept the reality of what you're invited into, and you can step into this place that is heaven. And there are these spirits who come and say, hey, you should come with us. It's really good here. But because you're not all the way God intends you to be, when you step out on that, what looks like grass, it's really hard, and it hurts your feet. Because it's something so different than you ever really know. And many people will turn around, and they will head back to the gray world, because I understand the gray world. I get the gray world. I understand what this world is. And they'll find themselves moving further and further away from the bus stop because it's their decision. They can go that way. They understand it. Because for many, one of the stories that probably hits some of us close to home in Lewis's depiction is one woman hangs out by the bus stop but doesn't want to go because she keeps thinking her husband's going to come with her. And her husband wants nothing to do with it. And he keeps deciding and going further away, but she, she's scared to make that leap because she's created an idol out of her, even her marriage. We do that with our family or our job or our wallet, whatever. And see, what, what they keep trying to tell her is, listen, if, you will, if you'll trust your whole self to God, you'll find joy in life in a way you have never known, but you have to be willing to let go of everything. You have to lay everything down. And then this, this is all yours forever. Or you can choose to keep going further and further down the road in the great world. The world in which hostility, anger, violence, the world in which it becomes obvious over time that there is the absence of God. See, that's what we can probably say safely about, about what hell might be. Hell would be the absence of God's presence, the absence of the goodness of God. And some of us are living in hell in these moments here and now. 
But what if we found there was a way to life? And this, this is what Peter is trying to get across. Right? He talks about Noah, and I'm not going to get into the Noah story a lot, but I will say this. You notice that it was, Peter writes that Noah's family saved through water. Water historically plays this fascinating rule role in Jewish culture. In fact, if you were to talk about what did they understand the, the place of the dead to be, it would be Sheol, the place of the dead, and Sheol was this place, it was the place under the deep. And it was like this idea that it was the water underneath the mountains, the place that you could never get out of. Water under the mountains. The place of despair, heaviness. Place that we didn't want to go, but it's the place the place where there is no but there's something about water that even though it can be death, it can also bring us to life. How we can go from one past thing to one future thing. It's why we see that all throughout the scriptures, the story of Noah. We can talk about the Exodus story out of Egypt when the Israelites find themselves leaving Egypt, they find themselves at the Red Sea. If they stay on the one side, it's for sure they're going back to slavery and what is certain death to them. Or they can take the risk and they can step through the waters to the other side. From slavery to freedom. We talk about a few years later when Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. He leads them in and they step through the Jordan River from one side, wandering in the wilderness, the place they can call home. Again and again, we see this picture throughout the scriptures. It's this idea that we move from certain death to life. From hopelessness to hope-filled life. That's why I love this, these words from verse 21 on. And this water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, um, I worked in student ministry for a long time, and one thing that's definitely true about student ministry is most of those kids need a shower. It's true. Go to middle school boys' locker room. Whoa. It's like the worst place to go. Because when you're done, they always spray axe, that axe body spray everywhere because they think it covers everything. Uh, it just makes them stink more, right? Um, so sometimes we need to wash our bodies, and that's a good thing. I encourage you to do it. I do it most Sundays before I come. Okay, every Sunday before I come. Um, for your benefit and for mine, right? I encourage you to be clean. Cleanliness is good. But the kind of cleanliness that Peter is talking about here isn't the idea that we go into the water just to wash our hands or our feet, our stench. It's this idea that God wants to do a work in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives. It takes the things that we know that we are drawn to that lead us to brokenness and destruction, the things in our heart and in our minds and our lives that keep us from knowing the fullness of life that God has for us. Those thoughts that sometimes hold us captive, our past, our shame, our guilt. The things that make us wonder, can God, does, does God really love me enough to remove that? Can I really have clear conscience before God? Can God actually do that work? Am I really 
willing to lay down the portions of my life that have kept me from knowing God as God is. Not this depiction of a God that I'm scared of, but the God that Peter writes about here that says, not even death itself can keep you from the good news of God's grace. And this, this is what Peter wants us to know. There is nothing you and I have ever done or will ever do that cannot keep us from the grace of God. It is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. But just like Peter, as he knew there were parts of his life that he couldn't take care of himself, just like in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, that each person had to make this decision for themselves. They had to choose to say, God, I can't do this, but I will lay everything down so that you can do this work in my life and in my heart so I can know life that's truly life. And not this shadow land. And not this gray world. And not a place where Sheol seems so real to me. It's this idea, this invitation to us to repent, to turn from change, to confess, to say, no longer will I try to do this myself, but God, I need you to do it because I can't do it. God, I know I've done so much. I know there's some stuff in my conscience that I just can't let go of, and it keeps holding me back, but it's this invitation that Peter wants us to know that we can let go of all that stuff, and it no longer has to have dominion or rule in our life, that we can leave it and trust that somehow this same Jesus that rose from the dead who laid his life down for your sake and for mine, invites us to live with a clear conscience here and now and for all eternity. So I have two challenges for you today. They're actually quite simple. Um, one is be baptized. On Easter Sunday, we'll baptize people this year. And if you've never been baptized, get baptized on Easter. It's a good day to do it. You can contact any one of our pastoral staff, and we'll get you connected, and we'll figure out how to make that work. And so get baptized. There's something about this symbolic act where we go from death of the old self to life in the new self. You're going, well, I've already been baptized. And then maybe Martin Luther's words for you are helpful. The idea of when we come to this place of baptism, it's the, the old Adam, the old self goes into the water, and the new Adam, the new self comes out. And Martin Luther's line was, well, but Adam's a really good swimmer. Sometimes we have to remember our baptism and that God has done that work and we have committed our life to that act. Second challenge is this. For each of us, there are aspects of our life that hold us captive. There are things that keep us from the fullness of what God has for us because we're holding on to them. There are things, whether it is an addiction, whether it's our pride, our ego, whether it is our own family, or our marriage, or whatever it might be, or our wallet. There's something that we just hold on to so tightly that, God, you can't have that, and and I'm not going to give it to you. It's just too hard for me to give away. And so one thing we're going to do a little bit uniquely through this entire season of Lent is in the back of the sanctuary, there's a cross. And to the left of that cross, I know if you're online, you can't really do this. You can write it and do it at home if you want. That's cool. But there are just note cards. And sometimes we have to symbolically actually do something to say to God, I want to let go of this. And so here's our challenge. If there is something that holds you back, 
any Sunday during this entire season of Lent, you can get up in the middle of the service. We don't care. And you can write on that card, God, I need to let go of this so I can live with a clear conscience towards you. I need to die to this. I need to let go of this. It has too much power in my life, and I need to give it to you. So whether when you're leaving today or next Sunday or any Sunday between now and Easter, literally write it down and stick it in the corner. Because there is something about confession and acknowledging our need to be radically transformed that only God can do. And so we lay it down and we let it go. And so this season of Lent is an opportunity for us to find life. I would say it this way, to find the life that Jesus invites us into requires us to believe in his resurrection, that there is no place, no place, the love of God will not go. There is nothing you have ever done, nothing you will ever do, that God's grace is not sufficient. Is this the character and nature of God? Whatever else we have gotten wrong through the this is opportunity to get it right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together for the way you love us as we are, where we are. And the good news is you don't leave us there. And so, Father, this morning, may we recognize you call us to symbolically live in this way where baptism becomes a reality of our life. It becomes something that we embrace and do and, and let define us in good ways. 